0: Old Testament Reading Podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today we're focusing on Genesis 27 through Genesis 32. You can find and subscribe to this podcast through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google. And if you have a different podcasting uh, app that you use, let me know. I can uh, get the podcast locked and loaded on there. Um, You can also keep coming to uh, the podcast.com website and listen to it through that. Uh, if you have any questions as you continue to read or questions from past weeks, you can always feel free to ask them uh, at bit.ly ask-o-t. That's bit.ly capital A-S-K hyphen capital O capital T. And I've included in the show notes some places that you can access this podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google, or Spotify. The, the theme that really sticks out in this section of the book of Genesis are the tangling webs of deception. And we see this happening uh, whenever human beings are involved, right? Uh, God is good and perfect and loving, and human beings, although created in God's image, have the infection of sin within us. And so sometimes, even when we try to do something right, uh, we're not able to do it as well as we would like, and that's certainly the case with our protagonist in this part of the story, Jacob. So, brief review from last week: Jacob and Esau were two twins who um, uh, Rebecca gave birth to, and it was prophesied to Rebecca that one of them would rule over the the, the other. In fact, the younger would rule over the the older, um, and. We, we see as Esau came out of, of, of Rebekah, Jacob came out grasping the heel of Esau. And this idea of grasping someone's heel has a number of different meanings. In Hebrew, it, it meant something like uh, uh, deceiving someone or usurping someone else's power. It's sort of like yanking someone's chain, but a little bit more serious, a little less comically. So by his very identity, Jacob has this uh, built-in, baked-in sense of one who deceives. So in Genesis 27, as we open our our reading for this week, he begins by deceiving uh, his father Isaac to, to fully take over the birthright and the blessing from his older brother Esau. Throughout Jacob's story, we see a deep exploration of how his life is shaped Profoundly by this deceptive set of deceptive practices he engages in, he keeps trying to to pull one over on those around him, even even those who he loves, sometimes especially those who he loves. And uh, we already saw this shrewdness at work when he got the birthright from Esau by selling him uh, at, at a very high cost uh, this bowl of soup that he made. But beginning with deceiving his father Isaac, Jacob's character turns from being an opportunistic, savvy traitor to being a deceptive usurper. And, and while his scheming, along with his mother's encouragement of his scheming don't miss that while that helps him win a blessing from his father it casts him into exile from his family if you ever heard the phrase uh, y- you won the battle but you lost the war it's a little bit of what i think is going on here with jacob he got what he was after but at what cost so as we follow Jacob, um, we we see that you know just like with Abraham, you know God initiated this covenantal relationship with with Isaac. God reinforced that relationship, and with Jacob, God continues this pattern by appearing to him at the town of Bethel or Bethel. Um, and this is the story of Jacob's ladder, where Jacob sees. Angels from heaven going up and down this ramp or this ladder from heaven to earth, and he calls this place Bethel. It was called Luz before, which meant light, but Bethel means house of God. And so uh, he he encounters God here. Um, God uh, tells Jacob, "Look, here's the covenant that I'm going to strike with you," and then Jacob makes this tower uh, to to remind him, he he, he builds this pillar to remind him of God's presence. But then instead of, you know, Abraham and Isaac may have asked for some clarification with God's covenant, but instead of doing that and then ultimately obeying, Jacob puts some conditions on his worship and obedience. He's like, God, if you prove yourself to me in this way, this way, this way, you got me. I'm yours. It's like he's trying to swindle a deal from God. The poet Sir Walter Scott uh, wrote a phrase that's often attributed to Shakespeare. He wrote, Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. This is a perfect description of Jacob. After getting a taste of deception, in stealing his brother's birthright and blessing, the web that Jacob begins to weave gets more and more tangled. In order to protect this blessing and birthright, he he leaves his family and goes out to find a a, a wife among his uh, extended family, um, and then gets caught up in defending his honor with his uncle Laban. And over and over again, in, in, in defending the gains that he has made, uh, Jacob just gets more and more bent, uh, and 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 we see this lived out at the very end of of, of our reading in Genesis 22 where or 32, where Jacob's soul was bent, and now his body is bent too. He's having to hobble, uh, with with his hip being touched by God, and um. It, it, it's similar in some respects to, uh, to Edgar Allan Poe, Poe's The Telltale Heart. Maybe you've heard this story. Uh, if not, uh, you can find a, a copy of it uh, on, online in the show notes. But in The Telltale Heart, a man commits a perfect murder, but he's haunted by the idea that the police officers who come to his house to investigate this perfect murder could hear the beating of the dead man's heart. And because of this paranoia, he he gives away the whole game, as it were, and admits his guilt to the police. And in the same way, Jacob's entire worldview is colored by his practice of deception. He sees potential for deception in everyone and everything around him. He's always looking over his shoulder, convinced that others are going to try and pull one over on him, just the same way as he pulled one over on his brother. His shrewdness, his competitiveness, rub off on everyone who's around him. It rubs off on his uncle Laban, where he uh, strikes a deal with Laban that, hey, um, I'll work for you, and I'll work seven years, and I'd like to marry your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban says, great, and then gives Jacob his older daughter, Leah. Um, And and. In in trying to protect himself from being swindled, Jacob actually opens the door to some degree for other people to see an opportunity to swindle him. Um, it rubs off not only on his uncle Laban, uh, who also tries to cheat him out of a number of wages, but also on his wives, who begin to see their relationship with Jacob not as you know mutually beneficial for both of them and for their husband, but as a competition where each of them is trying to get a leg up on one another. We'll come back to that in a minute. It also rubs off on how he sees the ladder between heaven and earth. You see, as he's running from uh, his brother Esau and, and going off to Laban, the first time he sees Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28, uh, he sees it as this beautiful dream of angels coming up and down from earth. The second time he sees it, um, it it's, it's like these angels are, are, are coming for him. Uh, it, it almost seems at the beginning of, of Genesis 32, like uh, the, the, the angels are almost waylaying him. No longer is this you know, beautiful. It's more like, you know, good grief. Um, there's, there's, there's something going on here. Um, in, in, in my translation uh, at the beginning of chapter 32, it says that messengers of God accosted him that in uh, perhaps your translation renders it a different way, but instead of seeing from the outside this beautiful image of heaven and earth coming close together, Jacob is accosted, uh, met in the road, much like he'll be met in the road by his brother Esau in a moment um, in, in chapter 33. But enough about Jacob's ladder. Um, He also, not only does does, uh, this shrewdness and competitiveness rub off on his uncle Laban, on his wives, on how he sees the latter, but also in Genesis 32, on on even how he sees God as an adversary to wrestle with and to get one over on. Uh, He desperately wants to win a blessing from this divine figure that he wrestles with. We'll come back to that again in a minute too, but let's sit with Jacob's wives See, his wives, Rachel and Leah, both are vying for his attention throughout the story from this last week. And they both have certain advantages in this battle that's pitched between them. Uh, one of them, Leah, uh, successfully bears a number of children for Jacob. She ends up bearing him six sons herself, uh, along with one da- daughter named Dinah. Um, she also bears him uh, two sons, through her slave, Zilpah. And um, so Leah's got this advantage where uh, she's able to, to have his kids, but the other wife, Rachel, holds Jacob's heart. And there's a clear dysfunction here. This dysfunction is fleshed out in a few ways. The first way, you know, Leah sends uh, Reuben off to go pick some mandrakes. They were considered an aphrodisiac. Uh, excuse me, not an aphrodisiac at that time, but, but something that would increase fertility. And... So Reuben comes back with these mandrakes, uh, gives them to Leah, and and Leah uh, uses them, uh, gives them to Rachel and basically tells her, look, if I give these to you, then um, I need for you to let our husband know that he has to come uh, sleep with me tonight. And it seems as if uh, Jacob had sort of stopped having uh, marital relations with Leah uh, because He loved Rachel, and even though Leah was bearing him sons, um, he didn't really love her. She had fulfilled her purpose to him. There's a deep dysfunction here. That's not how a husband ought to treat his wife. We also see this dysfunction in how um, both wives send their slave girls in to have children with Jacob uh, on their behalf. Uh, this mirrors Abraham sending uh, excuse me, Sarah sending Tamar in, or Hagar in, excuse me. Uh, I'm getting names confused. It mirrors Sarah sending Hagar in to Abraham so that Hagar could have a child on Sarah's behalf. Um, and this is something where no matter how the slave girls felt about this, no matter how Bilha and Zilpah felt about this, they were forced into bearing children with their master's husband and this is also not how good faithful god honoring people are going to treat members of their household this isn't this is not good so not only is there dysfunction here that's present this dysfunction is going to lead to hostility among Jacob's sons later now while individuals in our families make their own choices we know that they're deeply influenced by and themselves have a deep influence upon other family members Uh, the sins of the fathers are in some sense passed down to the sons that when we talk about issues related to the family of origin, certain patterns of behavior, we can see those patterns of behavior and track those patterns of behavior through the generations, both good and bad. And the relational trauma manifesting here has as its precedent, Abraham taking Hagar as his wife. Um, there's a precedent for it and uh, that doesn't make it good. There's also relational trauma that manifests here, and it has effects just like a stone which causes ripples in a pond. Now at the end of our narrative, uh, in Genesis 32, Jacob receives a new name. And this is something that has happened a number of times. Uh, in, in these stories of the patriarchs, um, with Abram, uh, his name has been changed to Abraham. With Sarai, her name has been changed to Sarah. Jacob receives this new name after wrestling with God. And um, in his wrestling with God, the, 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 the person he's wrestling with, he, he later names this person as God, but the person he's wrestling, Jacob's wrestling with um, asks him at one point, what is your name? And up until this point in the narrative, Jacob has not been admitting to anybody who he is. Uh, sure, I'm sure he's, he's introduced himself to Laban as Jacob. I'm sure he's introduced himself to, to Rachel when he saw her at the well as Jacob. But he has been acting, play acting as Esau this whole time. Ever since he went into his father Isaac's room when his, his father was was old and, and, and blind uh, and could only rely on the sense of touch, when when he put on Esau's robes and clothed himself with goat fur so he would be hairy like Esau, ever since then, Jacob has continued to play at being the firstborn son of Isaac, has continued to play at being Esau. But only, only when he wrestles with God does he stop pretending to be Esau, the firstborn, and begin to acknowledge his identity as Jacob. In acknowledging his identity as Jacob, he has to acknowledge all that comes along with this. The first step to recovery, remember, is admitting you have a problem. And and, in acknowledging his identity as Jacob, Jacob is naming the fact that he is a heel-grabbing, deceptive usurper. And this, is, this has got to be a hard thing for anybody to admit. And when he acknowledges this, only then does God name him Israel as the one who has striven against God and against human beings and has overcome. However, unlike the change of name from Abram to Abraham, from Sarai to Sarah, where every time before this name change, they were referred to as Abram and Sarai, every time after that. name change, they're referred to as uh, Abraham and Sarah, here um, does not mark a turning point for Jacob. He continues to be named Jacob throughout the rest of the narrative, sometimes also Israel. I think that's because he hasn't been fully honest with himself about who he is. He has moments of honesty about who he is, but he continues to deceive and continues even to deceive himself about the deceptions that he's wreaking upon other people. I wonder if you're familiar with that sort of pattern of behavior, where the, the sin that, that you tend to inflict on others, you also tend to inflict upon yourself. And what we can learn, I think, from the story of Jacob here is that we can be honest with ourselves, we can be honest with God, and in fact, for the sake of our own spiritual health and the health of our families, we need to. We don't have a choice. So if we struggle with deception, let's start being honest about it, at least to ourselves and at least to God, because otherwise we're going to be tangling the same webs of deception that... Our forefather, Jacob, did with his family and among his children. That's all for Genesis 27 through 32. Next week, we'll be looking at Genesis 33 through 38. And it is my prayer that God will bless you in your reading of Scripture.